Rise and shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band across Southern Africa and 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to far West Africa. I'm Jazz Arad. On the show with me with your news, Ornella and Tensi. Uh, with your economics report, Joalane Tulo. And, of course, with your final sports report, Mossi Budimakuria. Our top stories here on Africa Rise and Shine this final hour. Another attempt to get conflicting coalition parties to agree on a date to open parliament in Lesotho. The Democratic Republic of Congo's parliament to discuss a constitutional review. South Africa sends a team of experts to assist with the Synagogue Church of All Nations tragedy in Lagos, Nigeria. In economics, world, the World Bank warns that the Ebola outbreak could drain billions of dollars from the three affected West African countries. And finally, in sports, FIFA president calls on football associations and federations to intensify the fight against racism. Now with the news, here's Ornella and Tinsi. South Africa's International Relations Minister Maidengwane Mashabane has confirmed that a team of experts is on its way to Nigeria to give support to South African survivors and families who have been affected by a church building collapse in Lagos. The team includes doctors and disaster management experts. Nigerian officials say 70 bodies had been pulled from the rubble of a guest house for foreigners of the Church of Evangelist T.B. Joshua. Nkwane Mashabane elaborates. It's an advanced team that should help our mission to do what they've been doing, working together with the travel agencies that had uh, facilitated the travel of these fellow South Africans uh, to Nigeria, to also work with whatever personal documentation that's at hand, like, like passports, and working together with whoever they could from the, the synagogue itself. So largely the group that's living is an advanced team that would help, I mean would have, uh, would have doctors, all uh, expertise that's needed during this, uh, this time. Meanwhile, Nigeria has questioned a statement by South African President Jacob Zuma that 67 South Africans have died in the collapse of the church building in Lagos. Nigerian government officials say 70 bodies had been recovered from the rubble of Evangelist T.B. Joshua's church, but that they remain unidentified. Zuma said on Tuesday that at least 67 of his compatriots had died in Friday's accident at the Synagogue Church of All Nations. Nigeria's National Emergency Management Agency says Zuma is not in Nigeria and it's too early to speculate about the nationalities of the victims. The collapse occurred when extra stories were being added to the existing two of a guest house. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa will be in Lesotho today to mediate in the country's political and security crisis. Ramaphosa has been appointed by facilitators by of SADC. An emergency meeting was held this week after coalition leaders could not agree on a date to reopen parliament in Maseru. Ntagwana Ngadane has more. 
Sadak told Lesotho coalition leaders to urgently implement the agreements made in Vendhuk and Pretoria to open parliament. The leaders also agreed to hold elections earlier than the scheduled 2017 date to restore stability. Tomorrow, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa will lead a Sadak mission to assess the political and security situation. Ramaphosa will meet and agree with all stakeholders on dates to open parliament and hold elections. U.S. President Barack Obama has vowed not to fight another ground war in Iraq. He was seeking to reassure Americans about the level of U.S. involvement after top general suggested some combat troops could be deployed. Obama says airstrikes will be the central U.S. contribution to the fight against Islamic State, along with coordinating a coalition that he says now includes more than 40 countries. Obama says his approach is clear. The American forces that have been deployed to Iraq do not and will not have a combat mission. They will support Iraqi forces on the ground as they fight for their own country against these terrorists. As your Commander-in-Chief, I will not commit you and the rest of our armed forces to fighting another ground war in Iraq. And finally, the Director General of UNESCO says that development of the continent is being hampered by poverty, disease, endemic conflicts and civil war. Irina Bokova says the world should focus its 2015 development agenda on Africa so as to make the globe's development universal. Moki Kinzeka has more. Africa possesses all the ingredients to be the planet's dominant economic engine for decades perhaps the entire 21st century, according to UNESCO's boss, Irina Bokova. These ingredients are already lifting a continent once ignored into a big leaks of global economic dynamism, she said, but strongly warned against glowing conflicts which may perturb Africa from its rightful place as a locomotive of the world's development in the years to come. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A very good morning. Welcome here to Africa, rise and shine. This is Channel Africa. SA SADC mediator Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa will be in the troubled mountain kingdom of Lesotho today on another attempt to get conflicting coalition parties to agree on a date to open parliament. Ramaphosa was appointed mediator by the SADC double troika in Pretoria to oversee the return to normalcy of the political and security crisis in Lesotho. SADC told the leaders to implement the Vintuk and Pretoria Accords and they agreed to hold elections earlier than 2017, but they still have to agree on dates. Ntakwane Ngatane reports. Prime Minister Tom Tabani is still under heavy South African guard at the State House and his motorcade of heavily armed soldiers is very unusual in Lesotho. A clear indication of his party's stance on the country's security and the reason he says Parliament cannot reconvene tomorrow. But coalition partner LCD says it expects Parliament to open tomorrow as agreed. LCD's Sidiso Mkhosi. We have to say that we highly appreciate the fact that Sadak has reaffirmed his position 
that the, the Soto Parliament has to be opened, and it has to be opened on the 19th of this month, which is this coming Friday. These are the positions that Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa and his SADC team will consider when they meet coalition leaders and other stakeholders in Maseru today. SADC told coalition leaders to urgently implement the agreements made in Vendhuk and Pretoria to open parliament. The leaders also agreed to hold elections earlier than the scheduled 2017 date to restore stability. The parties agree that getting a fresh mandate is the right thing to do. BNP's Machisesa Mufomu we don't have a problem with that decision that uh, elections should come forward in terms of uh, solving the problem that we are having in the country. I think getting a new mandate from the electorate in this current impulse is the best thing to, to do. The parties also agree that constitutional reforms should happen before elections, but they disagree on how long this should take before elections. Meanwhile, 72 of the 120 members of parliament, many from the opposition Democratic Congress, signed a petition for parliament to open by Friday. Deputy President Ramaphosa is also expected to engage the opposition and other political stakeholders in the country. I'm Takwanangatani in Maseru, Lesotho. International Relations and Cooperations Minister Maiten Kwane Mashabane says a team of experts has been sent to Nigeria, while a disaster management process is also underway to assist the victims and families of the tragedy that saw 67 South Africans killed in a Nigerian church building that collapsed last Friday. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Besant, reports. Minister Maiteng Kwana Mashabani was briefing the media in Parliament about the progress made to assess the victims and families affected by the tragedy. As per the instruction of our president, President Zuma, government has activated here at home a, a disaster management uh, process and is treating the matter with the utmost agency it deserves. Government understands fully the pain and anguish of affected families and we are walking this difficult and painful path hand in hand with the families. Nkwana Mashabani says a team of experts has left for Nigeria last night to do the groundwork and to locate victims and survivors. It's an advanced team that should help our mission to do what they've been doing working together with the travel agencies that had uh, facilitated the travel of these fellow South Africans uh, to Nigeria, to also work with whatever personal documentation that's at hand, like, like passports, and working together with whoever they could from the, the synagogue itself. So largely the group that's living tonight is another advanced team that would help uh, ascertain Needs. I mean, would have uh, would have doctors. Would have all expect uh, expertise that's needed during this uh, this time. But what the team that we've been able to put up to the, tonight, which is not more than ten, are really going there to work on assessment of what's needed. But also, let me reassure South Africans that. We do have flights every, almost on daily basis, that can reach our people. The minister is urging families in South Africa to work with government to locate their missing loved ones. 
We are also appealing to families who are affected by this uh, tragedy to also help by emailing uh, latest photographs of family members, friends, relatives who are known to have traveled uh, to, this, uh, to Lagos, in particular to this uh, synagogue. Uh, email number consular at deco.gov.za consular at deco.gov.za One of those family members affected by the tragedy is SABC parliamentary editor Vuyani Green who lost his cousin. Green attended the press briefing to seek clarity from the minister. Uh, let me declare up front, uh, I lost a cousin in that incident. I last spoke to him on Thursday evening. Um, I'm not going to go to the first question, how long, why has it taken so long? Over the weekend, I was in, 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 in contact with Clayson and Nelson, didn't get any response. And I was given a number, phone that number, it just rang. There was no one to pick up that number. When we um, believe bereaved relatives uh, or families um, uh, be sent to Nigeria to identify their loved ones, um, can you give us the, the time frame? Because uh, speaking for my family, who are in the dark, we don't know anything. Thank you. Well, Voyani, um, may I take this uh, opportunity to pay special condolences uh, to your good self and, and family? I did say earlier on, it's a very difficult time for us to, as a nation, as families, as you had said, but also as government officials, particularly when this kind of a tragedy happens in a foreign country. Because the one thing is to have an official rushing to tell you something that you don't want to hear or that they are not sure of. It's, but when you are affected, you are bound to be impatient. You are bound to want to know the truth immediately but the information you get should be ver verifiable because you can come back and ask why were you rushing to tell me this sad news when my relative was working in the streets of such and such a city it's not an easy matter to deal with Ngwana Mashabani says a call center number which is currently operating 24 hours can be utilized we keep the lines open the Call center number, it's uh, 012-351-1000. That's an operation center number uh, that DECO is running or coordinating on behalf of the net joints that has been uh, set up. The minister says the main focus at this stage is to bring the survivors and bodies of the victims back to South Africa. Mercedes Basend, Parliament. South Africa's Parliament's International Relations and Cooperation Committee has received a call from a family in Quandabello suspecting that one of their family members could be amongst the 67 South Africans who died in the Nigerian building accident. This emerged during a briefing session by the International Relations and Cooperation Department, which appeared before the committee. There's also been mixed reaction from opposition party leaders in Parliament over the tragedy, as Mercedes Besant tells us. 
We must as South Africans mark this day for we lost many lives and uh, therefore the call will be even for our flags to fly in such a manner that they resemble mourning and that we send our condolences to these families. South Africans were lost and uh, we want the governments to cooperate and work together in making sure that we can assist diplomatically assist the families as best as we can. The IFP leader, Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi, says while this is shocking and painful, he believes nothing will stop the South African churchgoers of the Synagogue Church of All Nations from visiting Nigeria. We have heard the news with great sorrow because um, any loss of life is, is sad. But it's even more so when people go there for spiritual nourishment, when they go there, you know, to to worship Christ and actually to get themselves spiritually strong and, and find that they walk into their death. A lot of our people all the time go to Nigeria. There's some Nigerian, you know, men of God here in South Africa as well who do a lot of, of evangelization amongst our people. And it's very, very sad, therefore, that this has happened because I don't think that this is the end of anyone going there because this has been going on on a very large scale. Ever since 1994, our people have been going to and fro to Nigeria. The Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Mulder says the South African government should ensure that a thorough investigation is conducted by the Nigerian government to determine the root cause of the incident. This is a real tragedy. People going up there for their faith and then get killed in this way. Uh, Our real sympathy go out to the families and we really want and ask the government to give maximum support. Well, I really hope there will be investigations. I don't want to make any sort of suggestions, but the first rumours were really bad that it was built without all the necessary sort of uh, yes and no's from government. And if that's correct, it really reflects, and then there's a lot of uh, legal issues uh, in the end of the day uh, if, if it's being done against the, the old church there. So I think we need an investigation. I really hope the Nigerian government will do some investigation of what exactly happened there because we can never afford it to happen again. EFF leader Julius Malema, who says he has been in conversation with the church leader T.B. Joshua a few hours ago, believes the Nigerian authorities should be given space to conduct their investigation. And uh, we don't want to jump into conclusions. Um, There has been speculations of uh, terrorist acts. There has been speculations of um, um, illegal constructions of a building without uh, approvals by authorities of the drawings and all manner of things. So we are saying uh, we don't want to uh, speculate. Let us wait for the outcomes of any form of investigation. But uh, all those who who passed away, uh, they are strong believers who went to ask for blessings, who went to ask for prayers. National Freedom Party leader Zanele Kamagwaza Msibi says government should assist by helping to bury the victims. She has extended her condolences to Nigeria and South Africa. Because we know that it is a tragedy that, that perhaps never happened before in that country. But also as the party we want to send our deepest condolences to the people of South Africa. The families that are affected, their relatives, their friends, their colleagues. But also we want to say we thank the government for their prompt response that they have indicated that they want to assist all the families in South Africa that are affected. I think that we need to appreciate. COPE leader Musiwale Gota says this is an international loss to the church's followers across the world. So this is a usual well-known uh, end of life of Christian people in pursuit of their faith. We extend our condolences to the church 
uh, uh, in particular to South Africans uh, who left uh, our country on this positive m m mission and now have uh, ended there. But also condolences to all other people from various different countries who were there. Uh, we hope that out of this there will be greater good uh, in the years to come. Meanwhile, Parliament's International Relations and Cooperations Committee Chairperson Moses Masango told the committee meeting that her family of one of the possible victims has sought help from the Parliamentary Committee. I have this morning been phoned by somebody from Gwandebele in Siabuswa who said that there is a family of Guamatlango, uh, their son actually travelled to that place and uh, they suspect uh, he or she may have died there. I think it's he may have died there. So I was unable to be, to be very clear which department they must specifically contact. I said, well, uh, try uh, the Department of International Relations and then I gave him the address. But I also said, go to the airport, uh, get this, this piece that is left in the airport of the boarding pass. That was Parliament's International Relations and Communications Committee Chairperson Moses Masango, ending that report by Mercedes Besant. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. This is Africa, rise and shine. You're listening to Channel Africa. If you've just tuned in, welcome to the show. It's 20 minutes after 8 a.m. Central African time. I'm Jazzarad. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has refused to say whether or not he will step down should the Fallen Commission of Inquiry implicate him in the deaths of 34 Marikana striking mine workers. Ramaphosa was replying to a question by the opposition DA's parliamentary leader, Musi Maimane. Ramaphosa said he can't answer the question as the commission is still underway. Drama unfolded yet again in the National Assembly during oral questions to Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa. EFF leader Julius Malema and Party Chief Whip Floyd Shibambu were again ordered to leave the House. This was after the pair refused to retract allegations they made against Ramaphosa, implicating him in the killing of 34 Marigana striking miners after being asked to do so by Speaker Balegambete. They said Ramaphosa's hands have blood of the 34 miners who died at Marigana. And stop this thing that we must all take responsibility. We can't take responsibility for the things we don't know. You are the one who wrote emails and instigated the killing of 34 people. And I think you Honorable are responsible Member, and sitting Malema. there, your hands have got blood of Honorable innocent Malema. people who died in Marigana. Honorable think Malema, you have you to withdraw to that. Accept the responsibility. Honorable Malema, withdraw the remark. DA's parliamentary leader, Mosi Maimane, wanted to know whether Ramaphosa will step down should the Falam Commission of Inquiry implicate him in the deaths of the miners. Would the deputy president concede today that this email confirms that he personally inflamed the situation and that if the Falam Commission finds any wrongdoing or any contributory role that was played by you at Marigana, 
will you resign as deputy president? Ramaphosa said he can't answer the question as there was a commission of inquiry into the matter. There is a commission that is currently dealing with this very issue. If I were to answer you again, it would be almost tantamount to contempt for that commission. And you should know that as the leader of the opposition. You should know that. The DA was not satisfied with Ramaphosa's answer. Party Chief Whip John Stian Hayson said the question should not have been allowed in the first place if the deputy president can't answer it satisfactorily. Mbete ruled that Ramaphosa's answer was enough. She told the official opposition that she will not submit to their demands. You cannot push the deputy president further than what he has said to the House. Why not? Because I, as the speaker and presiding officer here, am not prepared, no matter how much no matter how much you scream, no matter how much you scream, I'm not going to do what you push me to do simply because you are screaming at me. Meanwhile, Shibambu may find himself in hot water after he was spotted making what has been described as unparliamentary gestures when he left the House. Lulamamaja Parliament. South Africa's Institute for Security Studies says the police in the Southern African nation can't fight crime alone. The Institute held a media briefing on Wednesday ahead of the release of crime statistics later today. New Police Minister Nkosi Nati Nklerko, his deputy Maggie Sotiu and National Police Commissioner Ria Piecha will release the figures at the South African Police Service Training Academy in Pretoria. Last year, the police and the institute were at odds about the crime statistics and about how they were miscalculated. The ISS said the crime statistics released by police in September contained a miscalculation and that they were downplaying the rate of violent crime. At the same time, ISS Governance, Crime and Justice Division head Gareth Newham said the police had used population estimates calculated by Statistics South Africa in 2001 and which expected the population to be 50.6 million in 2011. More from researcher at the Institute for Security, Lauren Tracy. Obviously, we've reached that time of the year again where South Africa will be launching its national crime statistics for the 2013-2014 period. And obviously, as part of the ISIS, we aim to help the public and the media understand and interpret these crime stats and what it means for individuals and communities. So we hosted this presentation today in order to present the police data objectively, you know, in the run-up to the 2014 crime statistics. And what are some of the aspects that you look at? We've seen malls being hit by a spate of robberies. Right, yes. So obviously the 2014 crime stats have not been released just yet. We have gotten a few sort of surveys that have been done, for example, by the South African Insurance Crime Bureau. And in this survey, for example, it shows that things such as house robbery, business robbery, business burglary and house burglary are all increasing or have increased, obviously. So basically for the 2014 run of the crime statistics, we're probably going to see that the crime statistics are once again going to be increasing in some instances. Mm -hmm. And do we expect some crimes to actually go down? Which other crimes should we expect when the stats are being released to actually go down? 
There will be a few crimes, obviously, that we would see that will be decreasing, but we have to consider, for example, domestic crimes aren't often reported to police stations. So in terms of saying crimes such as domestic crimes will be decreasing, one cannot really say that based on the fact that a lot of people don't usually report these crimes to police stations. So we may not just have that data available, which may show that there are decreases, when in fact these crimes may be be on the rise and be on the increase in South Africa. We had earlier seen a lot of killings on young children in various areas in the country. Have those crimes in your research increased in any way? So we don't have data that would tell us whether these crimes, as I mentioned, obviously the crimes that have not yet been released, whether the crimes around, you know, killings of children have increased. Unfortunately, we won't be able to say whether that is the case at the moment. But obviously, once the findings are revealed, we can then be better placed to make comments on that. How important is police visibility in the fight against crime? So obviously, you know, we often get asked the question whether having more police resources is helping in terms of decreasing crime within South Africa. And what we're seeing is that's not often the case. We may have more police visibility within South Africa, but it doesn't seem to be having an effect on the fact that crime is increasing in South Africa. So at the moment, in terms of searches and patrols that are being conducted, we're still seeing a rise in the amount of crimes that are occurring, even with an increase of SAP's visibility. And what role would you say do the communities in specific areas, especially in the crime-hit areas, play in terms of trying to reduce crime in their areas? Well, we definitely believe that, you know, the police are not solely responsible for preventing and combating crime, that it also it becomes a task for businesses, local authorities and communities as a whole to assist police in trying to combat the crime within the areas. It's basically just a matter of the community standing up against what is happening around them, you know, going to your police station and reporting what is happening so that they're better placed in order to sort of help what is happening in your area or in your community and so that these crimes are then reported and recorded. According to research, have we seen crime in South Africa decreasing over the years or is it on the rise? In my opinion, obviously that of the ISS, you know, 2013, the crime stats were presented with this, you know, great story of hope and confidence stating that it had decreased when in fact we saw quite a a number of increases specifically amongst your serious and violent crime categories, which are murder, attempted murder, your robbery. And in that sense, we're obviously worried that we're going to be seeing this trend continue throughout 2014, which is quite worrisome and quite a concern for the Institute for Security Studies. So just to answer your question, we do believe that we're going to see an increase in the crime during the 2014 crime stats release. Now, time for our final news update. Here's Onele Ntinti. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa will be in Lesotho today to mediate in the country's political and security crisis. At least 13 people have been killed during a shootout between police and suspected suicide bombers at a teacher training college in northern Nigeria. And Liberian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf hopes President Barack Obama's decision to send 3,000 troops to West Africa to battle Ebola would spur other countries to help. Channel Africa News.
This is Africa Rise and Shine. You're listening to Channel Africa. I'm Jazzarod. Good morning. In Scotland, millions of people are getting ready to cast their votes in the historic independence referendum. Around 11,000 South Africans call Scotland their home, and many of them will be voting later today to decide whether Scotland should leave the United Kingdom or not. Dan Whitehead filed this report from the Scottish capital, Edinburgh. At the Caffeine Drip Cafe in central Edinburgh, South African fare is being served up. We're going to make a um, burrowbos roll. So this is uh, old school. So it's going to be the South African sausage with a tomato and onion relish. And Christopher Wedge came from Cape Town to Scotland 13 years ago and has run a number of South African-themed cafes. As well as Scottish produce, he imports foods from South Africa. He's worried an independent Scotland could see import taxes rise. The importing costs are obviously very high at the moment, and we do import a lot of African products, and we try to educate the local Scots about our foods and stuff, and we do use lots of Scottish foods also, with our, and we do a com- combination of both foods. So I think if the government could maybe less on taxation on imports and stuff, and we can educate the, the, the people in the UK or Scotland about our foods and stuff. So. According to the last Scottish census in 2011, around 11,000 South African-born nationals live in the country. They form more than 4 million who are registered to vote on Thursday on the simple question, should Scotland be an independent country? Whether they vote yes or no on Thursday, what is clear is that the Scottish people are passionate either way. The latest polls from those who've made up their mind show 49% for the yes campaign and 51% for those who want to stay part of the UK. People's opinions are fiercely divided. I'm very proud to be Scottish. I feel incredibly Scottish. But I really think it's very important that we remain part of the United Kingdom. Why is that? Well, look what happened when the RBS (laughs) went bankrupt several years back now. It was the Bank of England that bailed us out. And I know that they're saying, oh, we can still use sterling and everything else. But we're going to be, if we go independent and we're going to be using sterling, it's going to come at a high price. Well, after 15 years of devolution, I feel that um, it's, for me personally, it's time to stand our own two feet uh, and to make our own way in the world. Why is that? Well, personally speaking, I feel like uh, an adult child um, still living at home with mum and, with mum and dad. Um, it's, you know, it's, the time is right. Um, to me, it seems the, the very obvious thing to do. The Scots, of course, have a rich heritage and history. But Nicola McEwen from Edinburgh University says Scottish identity is not playing a part in this vote. Instead, it's the big issues. It doesn't seem to be a huge factor. Um, neither campaign has really um, pushed an identity issue. Our identity is not predominant um, for either side. Um, and it doesn't seem to be driven by deep feelings of Scottish distinctiveness. Much more about pragmatic concerns about what it would mean for me and my family, what it would mean for the economy, what it would mean for the society. And so there is an important social dimension, and it's about public services, it's about the welfare state, it's about, uh, and this is pushed very strongly by the yes side, it's about whether or not independence could um, make for a better society. In the final hours of campaigning, both sides are pushing hard. The UK Prime Minister David Cameron and the Liberal Democrat and Labour leaders 
have joined forces to pledge more powers to Scotland if they turn down independence. Westminster is united on keeping the United Kingdom. But the First Minister of Scotland, Alex Salmond, insists the only way Scottish people can guarantee more power is to vote yes. The result will be out on Friday morning, but even at this late stage, no one knows just what that outcome will be. I'm Dan Whitehead in Edinburgh. Moving on to the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Parliament is to discuss a constitutional review during the September ordinary session that started on Monday. The matter has been put among the priorities to be dealt with, although the session is essentially a budgetary one. The National Assembly Speaker, Auburn Minaku, has called on MPs to use their full responsibility. Jean-Well Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. The September Ordinary Session members of Parliament have started on Monday here in Kinshasa is always focused on the budget of the Democratic Republic of Congo. But this country is currently facing so many political issues that need to be dealt with for the interest of the DRC people and among them is the Constitutional Review. The current constitution is underway since February 2006. The ruling majority wants it to be reviewed, especially in its section 220, that gives the head of state only two terms to rule the country. But the opposition doesn't want to hear such a project and believes President Joseph Kabila mustn't be allowed another term so that he can give a chance to other people. Opponents believe they will do better than him. The matter has then been put on the September session agenda as one of the priorities MPs need to discuss, according to the Congolese National Assembly Speaker, Obem Minaku, who have called on them to do it in cordiality and serenity. Among the priorities on our agenda, there is a draft of law on the election of provincial MPs and so we need a constitutional review. There are discussions on review of some other sections of the Act. I call on you to discuss in cordiality and serenity. People here in the Democratic Republic of Congo are busy thinking and discussing everywhere about this constitutional review. Most of them wonder how this should impact on living conditions on the ground once reviewed or left as it is. But according to this MP, people on the ground have voted the members of the parliament so that they can represent them and carry their voices and so they need to trust them since they are the ones making decisions decisions on behalf of their voters. Professor Saman Olutu. We are the representative of people. We are the ones who are supposed to make decisions before going back to the people themselves. So our decision is more important than you can believe. I think it is quite important. It's a quite a kind of responsibility that we have to take. Everybody can say what they think that is good to be said, but up to now, I think that from there nobody has said that is looking particularly at the article 220. That's not. But the most important thing is just looking at the common importance in our country.
So in that case, if it requests that we made a change in our constitution, that to get adjusted, to get it adapted to the new environment, we will do it for the efficiency. And that should be our own work, our own thinking, the way of putting together our vision of looking at the development of our country and the way the constitution should be looking at. I think in management say you have to trust yourself first before trusting other people. Most of observers believe that after discussions about the constitutional review, parliament might ask the National Independent Electoral Commission to organize a referendum and allow the population to decide. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Religion. Moving on to Rwanda, religious leaders meeting in the Rwandan capital of Kigali has called on governments in the East African community to promote a good governance and democratic space in line with exhausting the growing terror in the respective region. Spiritual leaders made the call in their faith-based inter-religious conference taking place in Kigali. Silivanas Karamera reports. This conference is attended by supreme leaders in faith-based denominations from East African community member states including Sudan and South Sudan. It is called amid growing chaos in some parts of the region resulted from counter-attacks between governments and terrorists, especially on the East African coast. Spiritual leaders in attendance, however, believe if governments promoted good governance, democratic space, and rule of law, it would help exhausting terrorism growth in the region. Bishop Michael Tabantoro is from South Sudan. Our governments must really look into good governance. The democratic principles, uh, we must not be ruled by fear, we must be really uh, leaders, our government leaders must focus into how can we uh, provide good governance where people can dialogue, where you can listen to cries of people and where you can listen to also the multitudes. Delegates also believe that religious leadership was twofold. On the one hand, they pose a threat to peace if they allow faith-based intolerance and conflict to grow. But on the other, the religious leadership have the potential to play a significant role in deepening peace by promoting the values that ensure peaceful coexistence. Bishop Michael Tabantoro. As you can see, Africa or East Africa is a region where we have really multiple religions. Even we have the African traditional religions which were there before. The focus is to see that people live in harmony. We have Christianity, we have uh, the Islamic faith, and the purpose of religion is really to give good values so that people can live in harmony. So that godly mandate always uh, makes church leaders to be concerned when there are conflicts, or make them to really say, why do we fight, why do we uh, really bring these man-made suffering into our region, into East Africa, into our countries, where we are supposed to really say, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that is a golden room. Love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, if we can make everyone to be our neighbor, then we definitely can live in, in peace. The success of the East African community depends on the quality of peace and security that its citizens enjoy, religious leaders say.
but with the increase of terror attacks, they cannot remain bystanders. Most of Rwanda, Sheikh Ibrahim Kaitari says, the conference may serve as a platform to help them demystify the ongoing paradigm of mistaking Islamic religion to terrorism. Islam has has a rules. Islam has a laws that ro- that rules and laws and principles. It is that which conduct which the whole Muslim must follows. Not for the every person coming and doing some actions which may be not acceptable in the Islamic laws, in the Islamic rules, in the Islamic principles, which we as we have been seeing. Uh, every day it is for the personal action not for the islamic action because islam is very clear in a seemingly way of answering the call to governments by religious leaders rwanda's local government minister kaboneka francis says just looking at how rwanda has reconstructed its past after the 1994 genocide religious leaders have an important role the m- main responsibility of religious or religions is to teach love to preach love among other objectives of the conference are to enhance the commitment of religious leaders to collaborate in promoting peace and security in the region silvanus kremera channel africa news kigali Now time for our economics report, our final one of the morning here on Africa Rise and Shine. Yes, Jualane Tulo. Thank you, Jazar. Good morning. The World Bank has warned that the Ebola outbreak in West Africa could potentially drain billions of dollars from the three countries worst affected. The bank says if the deadly virus continues to surge in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone, the economic impact could grow eightfold, dealing a potentially catastrophic blow to the already fragile countries. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The short-term impact halves on average the economic growth outlook for the three countries while the medium-term outlook, a result that emerges if the virus is not speedily contained, would in Liberia, for example, reduce growth from pre-crisis levels at around 6.8% to minus 4.9%, an 11.7 percentage point drop. The analysis finds that slow containment gaps would almost certainly lead to even greater financial gaps in 2015. The bank also finds that the largest economic effects on the crisis are not as a result of the direct costs of managing the outbreak, but rather those resulting from aversion behavior driven by fear of contagion. Zambia and Zimbabwe have obtained pledges of over 200 million US dollars to rehabilitate the Kariba Dam, a crucial source of energy that requires urgent maintenance. The Zambezi River Authority says the providers are the European Union, the World Bank, African Development Bank and Sweden. The Zambezi River Authority says failure to invest in the rehabilitation of the dam could result in the degradation of key safety features. The Kariba Dam and hydroelectric electric scheme were built across the Zambezi River in the 1950s and have been central to energy security and economic development in Zambia and Zimbabwe. 
Vodacom Group Limited plans to use its agreed acquisition of internet provider Neotel to speed up the introduction of high-speed fiber optic cable for South African businesses and homes. The phone company plans to invest more than $91 million a year in the new fiber cable network. The Johannesburg-based company is seeking to connect 5,000 businesses by March next year as it turns to mobile, landline, TV and internet packages to offset declining voice revenue. Fiber business will add millions of dollars to revenue over the next few years and will help South Africa's government with its initiative to bring affordable broadband to most of the country by 2020. Pizza Hut chain store is returning to South Africa after a six-year absence. The new focus of the chain of the food chain will be on delivery meals and a plan to use the country as a platform to enter other parts of the continent. The first new outlet in Africa's second biggest economy will open in Johannesburg tomorrow. Six more stores are planned for the Gauteng province by the end of this year. Pizza Hut will also open outlets in Zambia and Angola by the first half of next year. International restaurant tech chains and other retailers are increasing their presence in Africa. Burger King Worldwide Inc. opened its first restaurant in South Africa last year and McDonald's says it's looking at new African markets. And finally, Brent crude has dropped towards $98 per barrel. It is pressured by a stronger dollar on fears of a looming U.S. interest rate increase and a steep spike in U.S. crude stocks. Poor demand and abundant supplies have pushed down the oil benchmark to a 26-month low and have kept it below the $100 mark for more than a week. The dollar climbed to its highest in more than four years against a a basket of currencies and indications that an increase in U.S. interest interest rates might happen faster than expected when the Federal Reserve starts tightening monetary policy. A stronger dollar makes dollar-priced commodities such as oil more expensive for buyers using other currencies. And now for a look at the financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.92 South African rands, at 8.94 Botswana pulas, and at 6.12 Zambian kwachas. It is also trading at 0.61 to the British pound, at 0.77 to the euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,224 and platinum at $1,350 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $98.38 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulu. Now time for our sports report, our final update. Here's Rachel Makura. Good morning, sports fans, and starting off with football news. Sierra Leone have sacked their head coach, Jonathan McKinstry, just just two games into the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. The Northern Irishman took to his website to confirm the development that has caught many by surprise as he led the country to his highest ever FIFA ranking, which is number 50th. McKinstry received an emailed letter from the Ministry of Sports advising his contract had been terminated due to the poor team performance in the recent two games. It remains unclear who will take over the reins. He will, however, continue with his role as the academy manager of the Greg Bellamy Foundation in Freetown.
Meanwhile, Uganda has petitioned the Confederation of African Football to carry out a second MRI test on the Zambian under-17 national team. This after Uganda were defeated 2-0 in the first leg of the 2015 Africa Youth Championship qualifiers played in Lusaka last weekend. Uganda's coach, Matthias Lule, however, believes his boys were intimidated by the huge structure of the Zambian players, hence the defeat. To me, maybe, what I can say is that, is that maybe MRI, MRI machines of Zambia, they are different from ours here. But if it's not that, Zambians, we are a bit older than us. From our side, we filed a, pen, a petition. We, 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 we took it to March commissioner. And then I think he sent it together with a report to the CAF. So on football news, with just four weeks to go before the South African senior women's team compete against Cameroon in their opening Group A match of the Africa Women's Championship in Windhoek, preparations for the AW team have just entered the home stretch, having massacred neighbours. Botswana 10-0 at the Royal Bafokeng Sports Palace in Poking last weekend. Vera Pau's charges will now take on Côte d'Ivoire in another international friendly match on the 24th of September at the Moreleng Stadium in the Northwest Province. Bayana Bayana players were given two days rest after the match and assembled for camp earlier this week. On to rugby news, South Africa's Sevens rugby team will face Wales in the opening match of the 2014-2015 IRB Sevens World Series set for the Australia's Gold Coast next month. The draw of the opening events of the Sevens circuit released in Australia has pitted South Africa against Wales, Kenya and newcomers to the circuit, America's Samoa and Paul Beam. Blitzbocker head coach Neil Powell knows that they are not in an easy pool. Didn't expect not to get Kenya in, a, in the pool stage because I think we've got them in the last or seven out of nine um, pool stages that we played in in the past. So uh, always tough playing against Kenya and Wales. And then also America Samoa, I think we, we don't know what to expect from them. We don't have, really have uh, video footage and uh, saw a lot of the games that they played. So almost that unexpected factor that they can bring. So a tough pool that we, that we have. And while in tennis news, South Africa's Davis Cup team will depart from Mexico on Friday to compete at the World Junior Davis Cup by BNB Paribas tournament set to take place later this month. Head coach Jared Timlet says he hopes his team does well at the showpiece. We've been talking a lot as a team about certain areas that each individual needs to, I've been talking to the guys about what they need to improve as individuals. Um, so obviously we've set ourselves goals and, and things that we want to improve on which aren't results-based. Um, we don't want to be, we don't want to be, uh, look too much um, on the results, but we do want to make sure that performance-wise um, we, we're getting 100% out of each player. And I think if we do that, um, we're obviously going to stand the best chance possible to get the best result possible. Well, those are your sports news. Add to the summer. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine.
Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. This uh, Thursday the 18th from myself, Jazz Rod, producer Nomaliza Mandela, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. Any comments, email us at info at channelafrica.org or SMS plus 2782-332-5905. Through to the top of the hour, Ya Guduza by Miriam Makeba here on Channel Africa.
Good morning.